I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Today, we're talking about uh, differences and just uh, how to celebrate our all of our wonderful differences. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to have my guests introduce themselves. Uh, so we're just going to do our name, our pronouns, where you're from, your relationship with kids, and your relationship with the topic. I'm Lori Starling. I go by she, they pronouns. I identify as non-binary, um, so I go by either of those pronouns. I actually am living currently in Oahu, Hawaii. Um, my relationship with kids, I'm a teacher. Um, right now, I teach middle school, um, primarily language arts, um, and I'm also a kid-lit author. My relationship with the talk topic, um, I, you know, growing up, I was bullied for my weight, so my size, um, how I present, um, how I, how I'm gender non-conforming, that kind of thing, and then also for disability, disability, both growing up and in the workplace. Hey, my name is Lauren, and I use she/her pronouns. I'm in Massachusetts, and um, my relationship with kids. I have three kids. They're almost three, almost seven, and just turned fourteen. And my relationship with this topic is, so I experienced homelessness when I was a young person. I was 16 the first time, but I just didn't know it then because homelessness looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. On this podcast, we talk a lot about uh, just kind of those times where kids' questions maybe catch us off guard or we're kind of not prepared to answer a question. And so I'm curious if there's ever been a time where a child asked you a question that you kind of uh, weren't prepared for and maybe caught you off guard. It can be about this topic or about anything. Every day. Honestly, like as a teacher, it's like every day. Um, my my middle school kids are really inquisitive. And then I also have um, a kindergartner myself. Um, I have a son who's six and he he's all about the questions. But I think the the weirdest question that I wasn't prepared for was actually given to me when I taught high school and it was from a ninth grader. I had a picture of a family photo on my desk and my spouse was holding my son and, you know, my husband, yeah, he does look young, even though there's, I think there's like, maybe I'm a year older than him, like maybe five months. It's not even like a big deal. But my student was like, oh man, is so how old's your son? And I was like, well, he's six. And they're like, no, your other son. And I'm like, oh <laughs> my gosh. So that's probably like, I was not prepared. It's always the things that I'm uh, least experienced with personally that I have a hard time answering. I think that like it's it could be anything from complicated math problems, which I'm really, really bad at. So if you ask me a math problem, it throws me off every time. I'm like, uh, uh, I don't know. Or just talking about other people's religions and cultures and backgrounds. But um, my my favorite question that I was not prepared for was actually the first time that my six-year-old told a joke. And I wasn't prepared because I didn't know he knew how to tell jokes. Uh, but he came up to me. And he gets really serious and he's got his fingers in my hair and he's looking at it really closely and he goes, mama, what's in your hair? That was the question. What's in your hair? I was like, I don't know what's in my hair. And he goes, my fingers. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's yeah. Sometimes kids just catch you off guard with what they're able to do or like their thought processes. And you're like, how are you? Like, like what time when I was a kid? I I must have been very young, like three, and uh, I had trouble sleeping at night. 
um, and often slept in the day, which now as an adult, I know was because I have narcolepsy. But when I was a kid, they were just like, I don't know, you're weird. What's going on with that? And uh, so I told my mom, I turned to her one day when I was three and I said, I'm nocturnal. She was like, how do you even know that word? <laughs> like, where did you get that from, right? So sort of jumping into the topic, when you were younger, did other people, you know, treat you differently because of, you know, the various identities and things that you, experiences that you mentioned and sort of like, how did you react um, to that? When I was a kid, even though this is more like elementary school where it was like my weight and even, I mean, come on, even in high school a little bit, it was just, it was, it was a lot of just verbal comments. Um, I think in second grade at one point like I had some kids throw like rocks at me and stuff like that just because of my weight I mean it wasn't like you know it wasn't like I was being stoned but you, you know what I'm saying um it just it wasn't cool I know that when I got older I actually like was in a really bad car accident my senior year of high school and I was in a coma um, I had broken my neck and stuff. So I suffered a TBI or a traumatic brain injury. You know, I had to walk around school with a walker. Um, I had a halo on my head, you know, that thing from um, Mean Girls, like that she wears. I had one of those, like, for real, for real. So it kind of, you know, I was put into different classes. I almost all of a sudden had an IEP. And, um, you know, I, I even had a a, a boss say, oh, well, maybe you're being impulsive because you, you know, you have brain issues, like, and it was very inappropriate. So, um, you know, that was an issue. And I also had people kind of bullying me because I kind of wanted to do a lot of things that were gender non-conforming. And I, when I was in school, I mean, which wasn't long ago, like the term non-binary wasn't really one that a lot of people used. And I, I didn't really know of that term for it, but I, I like to, I like to have my ears gauged. I like to, you know, I didn't like wearing dresses. I, um, you know, I didn't, I mean, I wore makeup, but I really didn't like doing it, but I feel like it was kind of like just expected. So I did, um, even though it was really, really, bad um like I mean I wanted to play football on the football team and I got a lot of jokes and I wanted to wrestle even though like you know it ended up not being so because I wasn't allowed um it's always kind of like I wanted to do things that weren't necessarily what you saw you know females doing at that time so I had a lot of just pretty much laughter and stuff growing up yeah totally and isn't it like like I also like it wasn't that long ago that I was in school but it's interesting how much like it things have changed like you were saying with like terminology and things like that as far as especially like LGBTQIA plus stuff I feel like there's a lot more understanding I mean at least the words are out there oh for sure like I didn't even know that there was that terminology you know what I mean and Cause like, and I didn't, we didn't, I didn't go to school that long ago. Like I graduated high school, maybe, I mean, 10 years ago. I mean, that, I mean, that is a long time, but really when you think about it, it's really not that long. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting how much things have changed in such a short period of time. So when I was a lot younger, I actually wasn't homeless as a child. And that's sort of the interesting thing about homelessness is that it can happen to anybody. So when I was a kid, I still had a house. And so other people treated me just like any other kid with a house, with a home. It wasn't until I was around 16 that I first experienced homelessness. And then at that time, it looked different from the typical stigmatized way that you imagine homelessness. It didn't look like somebody sitting on a street corner with like boxes and cardboard. It just looked like a 16-year-old who kept asking to stay on their friend's couches. So the only real difference at that time was that people got sick of having me around. You can't stay on the same friend's couch for 
for a long period of time. It wasn't until I got a little older and looked back that I started to realize, oh, that's the first time I was homeless. It wasn't later on in life when I entered the shelter system or some other period. It was when I was 16. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious, you know, has, as like, as an adult, right, has a kid ever asked you about, you know, about that difference? Or, you know, again, like, how did you react um, in that situation? You know, when we're talking about kids specifically, like when I, I found, you know, when I went into teaching, I didn't expect, I knew kids were inquisitive, but I didn't expect like, them to be as inquisitive, especially as like ninth graders, because usually what in ninth graders are so in their own head, they're into social media, that kind of thing. Um, I was like, who who's paying attention to me, right? But I did have a group of students, and a lot of them, and you, you know, they like to come to my room, like during lunch. And, you know, sometimes I would have to be like, hey, go back to class, because they would come into my class, like when they were supposed to be in another class, and they were on a restroom break, and um, that kind of thing. So um. I had a couple of my kids and I I didn't really notice it until after I moved here to Hawaii from Virginia. And then those kids still like all of a sudden they started following me on Twitter and like all this stuff. And I was like, Oh, and they were like championing, championing, sorry, championing. Like when my book came out, they were like championing it, championing it. And I didn't know that they paid that much of attention to me. And then I had one write me a note and like a couple, well, a couple of them have written me emails since. And I noticed they don't use the misses anymore, but they use like the mix, like the MX. And I'm like, that was never really like a topic that we talked about just because of the school that I like worked at at the time. Like, you know, I was Mrs. Starling. I wasn't, you know, that was just something that, you know, the school put in place. And I kind of was at that point in my professional career where I didn't really feel like, hey, I need to switch this because some of my students were were religious and didn't see it, but they weren't exposed to it. And we could talk about that later, but they weren't really exposed to people that were non-binary, that didn't know anybody. But then a couple of my students actually had the courage to come out as non-binary or came, come out as trans or, you know, st- something like that. But when I noticed they started doing that, the mix at the beginning of my name to address me, like I kind of, I was like, wow, like, I don't know, like they, they did notice that difference. So it wasn't really that they asked about it, but they just kind of like, they read, they read my stuff and made that assumption. And I was like, Oh, well, that kind of was heartwarming in a way because they accepted me for who I was. Do you know what I mean? Um, Even though that I think they already kind of got that vibe, um, but they didn't actually come out and ask me, but it was just really touching. I think it's so interesting how, you know, and it sort of depends on the kid and depends on the age, but like in general, how easy it is for kids to adapt to things like that like I so I'm I'm trans and before I transitioned like right before I transitioned I was at that point where like I was still presenting as female but I had like chopped all my hair off and was dressing kind of like butch and was like you know kind of which is funny now because I'm like so hyper feminine as a man um but anyway I so I was working this nannying job and I you know they knew me and with my old name and my old pronouns and everything um but the the kids really really liked me and so even after I moved away uh they still kept in touch all the time and uh, the nine-year-old, Josh, used to, like, call me and FaceTime me and text me, whatever. And um, at one point, I guess, after I transitioned, his parents told him, uh, I guess, you know, he was talking about me and they they told him that I had transitioned. And he sent me, I still have it somewhere, this, like, sweet, like, you know how you can, like, do a voice text message, like a recorded text message? He sent me this, like, voice text that was, like... You know, and he started with my old name and he was like, oh, or should I say Seth? He was like, my parents told me that like, you know, this happened and like, I just, you know, 
I thought you made a pretty good girl, but that's just me. And like, it was so funny. I'm glad that you're, you know, that you're happy and whatever. And it was just like so sweet. And it was just like, you know, just like the way your students just like saw on social media, like, oh, they're going by this now. Okay. And it's like not like it's adults, I think, that have such a hard time you know, wrapping their head around that stuff and kids, even older kids, like you were, you know, like in your example are like, I think have some, such an easier time being like, okay, because we're telling them everything about the world anyway. What? like? <laughs> yeah. And it's even like, it's super funny. Cause like, I, you know, when a couple of them were like, you mean you're not going to judge me? And like, cause like, you know, cause you could tell that like at that age, they were really trying to like get a handle of their sexuality and their gender and how they were expressing themselves and, and whatnot. And um, these were, you know, some of the kids in my class that participated in activities like theater and stuff like that. And I'm not, you know, but I spent a lot of time because I would help um, the other teacher like by volunteering to help with the theater program and stuff like that. And they would kind of like hang out and um, they were, they were like, Oh, you mean you accept me for who I am? I'm like, well, honey, why wouldn't I? Cause like, that's, you know, um, I totally, totally understand. And, you know, I, I did have side questions about, well, how come you're so understanding when you, you know, you have a husband and a kid and I'm like, because who I choose to be with doesn't necessarily define who I am. There's so much more to me than that. And then they felt comfortable to be themselves around me. So I felt that was, you know, I, I don't know, it's touching when kids see you and they're okay with you, but it's hard when, you know, maybe adults don't necessarily do that. You know what I mean? There was another another moment with that same family. There was also a five year old in that family, and when I was still nannying for them, we were playing Rock Band, uh, which was like a game for the Wii, where where you had like instruments and whatever. And so we we had picked our characters, and my character was male, and Josh, the nine year old, was like, "Why is your character a boy?" And the five year old turns to him and goes, "Because she's a boy, duh." And I was like. This five-year-old sees me. And I don't know if it's just because I had short hair and that stuff. But like, she was old enough. She was like five or six. She was old enough to like put that together. But it was so funny the way that kids can sometimes, we think we're doing such a good job and kids see right through it. They just can like record. Yeah. So one of the things I actually do now for work, I as a consultant, I have sometimes gone and talked to groups of kids about experiencing homelessness and um, what that means. So I have welcomed questions from young people about this experience and this difference. And it's always so cool because um, I think a lot like what you both were just saying, kids don't judge you for that. They're just curious. And a lot of the time just existing and being yourself and talking about your experiences makes them comfortable be to, to be like, oh yeah, like I've felt this way before too, or I've experienced this before too. And it gives them the language to use to talk about those things in a way that's really cool. One of the questions that I've always really liked from kids when I've talked to groups of them about this experience is, what are you supposed to do when you see somebody who's experiencing homelessness on the street? And that person's asking you for money or something like that. And um, people are always like, well, how? Can, what do we do? We don't want to give them money because we're worried that they're going to use it on alcohol or they're going to spend it on drugs or who knows what. And what I always say is that this is, this is a human, this is a human being. Just say hi. Like if you don't have cash on you, if you don't feel comfortable giving them money, that's fine. Just say hello. Say, how are you doing? Give them a smile. You don't need to be afraid because they're just people. So that's, that's the way I like to think of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember I, I tend to, 
go go with that mentality of like just talk, talking to people um, if I you know if I have the time and it's appropriate right when I when I see folks and there was one time where I saw I don't know I, when I was living in New York City I saw this guy who was about my age um, you know sitting on the road with his sign and I just like chatted up a conversation with him and we found out we were from the same like I went to school where he grew up and like you know and I was just like you know I like treated him to dinner or whatever and it's not it's not hard to like, also, that's another thing. I'm like, if you don't want to give people money, offer to buy them food. That's another thing that you can do or offer to buy them something they need if you're not in like a rush. But I, but that was a really interesting experience for me where I was just like, oh, this person is like the same age as me. They're like from the same place. Like, again, like you were saying, where like homelessness is something that can happen to anyone. I do also want to say though, that like if, if somebody wants to give somebody something and they have the money, then just give them the money. That's a lesson that I like to teach my kids all the time. Like if we walk by someone who's outside and I have money, I try and encourage my own kids to go bring it over to them, to teach them like, hey, this is a normal thing and we're not going to be afraid of this person. And if they want money, they can have money. Like if they're going to buy an alcoholic beverage or something with it, then so be it. Like sometimes mommy does too. So I think it's it's important just to normalize the autonomy in being able to spend money the way you want to spend your money. Yeah, totally. So I think sometimes there's this like struggle people have with like, we want to encourage kids to be curious and ask questions about differences, right? But we also want to teach them that maybe it's not always polite, right? Or the right moment to, you know, point out every difference that someone has or a run up to someone and ask them about their differences, right? So like, how do we kind of meet in the middle with those things while still teaching kids that it's okay to be curious and ask questions, but you know, maybe there's like, there's a time and a place. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, I know, like, and this is just, this is coming from like a teacher's perspective. But, um, you know, I always encourage polite questions instead of making having students or even like my own son making assumptions um, about a person because that's how bullying stereotypes are formed. You know, when you don't ask questions and you just assume of what your grandfather said or, you know, your, your neighbor said, I mean, when you make, when you assume that's where, you know, it comes, you know, into a problem. Like, for example, I had a student, we were reading a short story and it was coming from the perspective of a child that was, 10 years old, they, they were talking about their experience with having obsessive compulsive disorder, but it didn't actually come out and say that I have OCD, you know, but it was just talking about the day in the life of that, how they went through and how they had to tap everything three times and how it annoyed people and, you know, how she didn't understand how it annoyed them when it was actually annoying her. It was, how did she feel? Like, you know what I mean? Do you think it's annoying? How do you think it makes me feel? Well, And then I said, well, what can we, you know, after reading that, what inference can you make about what we just read about the protagonist? Like, was she happy or scared? And I had a student go, well, she's weird. And I go, we're going to stop right there. Why did you use that terminology? And they're like, because she's doing these things. And I'm like, because it's different doesn't make it weird. We're not going to put that term with it, but we're going to find out more. And he was like, well, I didn't, I didn't realize that could be offensive. It's just, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. And I said, I know, but a lot of times kids don't mean it that way. But when they make that assumption and call somebody weird, just because they don't understand, that's because of the lack of questions. You know what I mean? So when you open that conversation, it's important that those differences be celebrated, but they also have to be aware of how to do it respectfully. And I think that's, 
that's where it gets confused a lot of times because um, I've had students ask about other students' ethnicity or something like that, and the other student gets offended, but it's uh, the way that they word things. I think kids a lot of times too, like like as far as kids asking an adult a question, I think that kids are usually or asking questions about anything, like it's mostly coming from a place of curiosity for the most part, right? There are some kids who maybe are trying to be, uh, you know, malicious about things, but for the most part, I think when a kid is like, why is that person in a wheelchair, right? Or whatever, they're just curious and they're not trying to be offensive or whatever. And so I, I think that like as adults, if kids ask us questions, like to remember that they're not trying to like offend us, you know what I mean? But also like, I, I like to use those things as teaching moments, you know, when kids, cause kids will often ask me like if I'm a boy or a girl. Um, and for me, I, you know, I'll answer that question and then I'll sort of follow it up with like, but maybe not everybody wants to answer that question, right? So, you know, if you have a question, my sort of rule is always like, if you have a question, ask someone, you know, I mean, this is language I would use as an adult, maybe not as a kid, but I, you know, even if as an adult, like I'll come to my friends and be like, hey, do you have the emotional energy to like answer a question about something right now? You know what I mean? So like, I think ask like, hey, is it okay if I ask a question about that, right? And also respecting the no is such a big big thing like not everyone wants to tell you why they're in a wheelchair or like whatever and so I think teaching kids that it's so like yes ask questions but don't feel shut down if someone doesn't want to answer that question don't feel like you could never ask another question again you know yeah and also don't feel entitled for them to answer or don't be like well because I asked this you have to answer it because like you said like not everybody wants to you know answer questions about their disability and I don't like to call it disability but I like to call it ability nobody wants to answer you know not everybody is open to that yeah So for me, I take my inspiration for this from a book. It's called Last Stop on Market Street. And it's uh, it's about a grandmother who takes her young child to uh, volunteer at a soup kitchen. And there's a page in this book that I really love. It's a really short piece I'll read to you really quickly. It says, a man climbed aboard with a spotted dog. CJ gave up his seat. How come that man can't see? Boy, what do you know about seeing? Nana told him. Some people watch the world with their ears. That couple lines right there has always been my inspiration for how to handle questions about differences from kids. Um, So my kids and I, we lived in Boston for most of my kids' lives. We actually just moved out of Boston recently. And so we were on the the buses and everything all the time. And we were seeing people who looked different every day. And so anytime I got a question, especially my my six-year-old, he would always ask me like, hey, why does that person look like they don't have a home? Because he was super aware of homelessness because I talked to him about it all the time. I would always think about that page when I answered him and say, well, some people just live outside or some people just get around with their wheelchairs or some people just whatever it is, you know? I just think it's like, it's the most simple, obvious thing. and. Again, like we were saying earlier, kids just accept it because they're just now learning. And so you say, well, some people just see differently. Some people just get around differently. They just accept that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll like get into this a little bit later, but I think that's also why representation is so important, especially even from like an early age, right? Like in children's books or in different things, like having books where there, you know, are people who look different than maybe the people around you is really important. Like even for me, like I... I own, I think, three or four Barbie dolls, and they're all from the Fashionista line, which is a great, which is really wonderful. Uh, they have um, all different body types, and I mean, you know, as as quote unquote fat as Barbies can get, I guess they they have a little ways to go with the body, 
positivity kind of stuff. But, you know, she's curvy. I'll say she's curvy. Um, but I have like one that, um, you know, and they're, I think they're all people of color. One is, one is sort of on the curvy side. One is in a, one is a wheelchair user. Uh, one has a vitiligo and the other one, oh gosh, now I'm blanking. Oh, she is bald. So like, those are like, for me, like if I'm going to give my kids dolls, they're going to be those kinds of dolls, right? They're, it's not going to be, you know, your stereotypical Barbie doll. Cause like, you're going to see that for the rest of your life in daycare or wherever you go. Right. And so I think it is important to like have you know, in our books and in our toys and in things to have that kind of representation also so that we can answer some of those questions before they happen in real life with a person. You know what I mean? So they're going like, oh, that, that person's in a wheelchair, just like my Barbie. That's normal. Yeah. And that's, um, I, I'm a really big fan of children's books. I collect all sorts of different ones. And that's always been the most important thing to me. I love, I love kids' books, especially the ones that talk about differences or see things from a different perspective rather than, like, the common princess stories and, like, romance and whatever, all that stuff. I think, again, in the same way we've been talking about, there's a little bit of theme here now. Kids just accept what they're taught. And so if the first stories they're hearing are all about, like, straight couples who fall in love, then that's what's going to be normal for them. But if you get books that are about all sorts of other things, then they learn about all these other things, too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of, like, shifting to talking to kids about this kind of stuff. And we talked about this a little bit, but just why why is it important that we introduce kids to the you know the idea that there are different kinds of people like why why you know we're just kind of talking about this but a little bit more about that well I know because like Lauren was saying like I love to use kidlet for to teach kids about different types of people about different topics because you know I would rather them learn about a difficult topic in a book by reading what the main character did as opposed to actually having to experience it. But, you know, kids need to learn, you know, early on that, you know, diversity and differences are beautiful in everybody and they need to be celebrated, you know, whether it has to do with, you know, religion, race, ethnicity, ability, gender, sexuality, anything like that, you know, whether you have freckles or you have a fat body or anything like that, you know, they need to see those people, whether it's in the public eye, um, they need to see people with differences doing great things you know, um, they need to look at role models and be like, look, this person, you know, while they might be overweight, you know, look at them, they can, they can go surf, doesn't, you know, because a lot of times, if, for example, like when I first got to Hawaii, I was like, man, I would love to learn to surf, but I'm like, there's no way I would be able to, you know, get up on a board. But, you know, I talked to a gentleman that was like, you know, that lives like a couple doors down from me. He's like, he's like, honey, just get a longboard. You'll be good. <laughs> you know? Um, he's like, he's like, there's, there's many, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you look like, you can do it. Um, so it was just kind of like that push, but the, I feel like the more that kids are introduced and see that people, even while they have differences, they, you know, can still do the same thing, you know, as other people can do, they could still go through life, you know, um, the same way as other people do. Um, and the more they see people that are different, whether it's in books or in real life, and there's, you know, positivity, and they ask those questions, if the other people are willing to answer them, the better off everybody else is going to be. Because when they're not introduced to a topic, or um, a different type of person, or they've never met a person that identifies as, you know, non-binary or transgender, or, you know, never met somebody who's Muslim, you know, that's where stereotypes can form because they ask people that aren't 
that do not identify as those things questions and, you know, they might not know them, you know, um, they might tell them false information. They need to, you know, that's why I always, I'm big, I'm a big pro, like, you know, I would never like personally as an author, I would never write a book from a main character's perspective of, you know, a straight male who is, you know, African-American, because I don't know about that experience. Yes, I could do my due diligence and do research and do interviews and all that stuff. But I feel like that should be told from somebody who has those experiences, because those voices need to be amplified. Yeah, own voices work is so important. I don't have all of the experiences in the world, right? I only have my lived experience, which is why, you know, I have on lovely folks like y'all to talk about those different experiences, right? Because, you know, again, it's part of it's part of what makes us all different and awesome is that we all have different experiences, right? It would be really weird if we were all just the same person. I agree. The reason I think it's really important to introduce kids to these things is because kids become adults. And if you want to break a stigma, then you have to start with the kids, right? Like, how are you going to change something if you keep creating the same cycles? It's to me, it's my job to help people break that now as much as possible. That's why I wanted to be here today so that you could hear me talking about youth homelessness and make that some normal language that young people are hearing, right? What comes to mind for me is this one time I was in Harvard Square in Cambridge. I don't know if you're familiar with the area. It's like a really busy area, lots of people walking through. It's the city. And there was a mom and her young child with, with her walking a little ways in front of me. And we were walking on the sidewalk and we got to a point where they were about to walk by a man who was sitting on the street and he was panhandling. And the mom sort of saw the child being curious and looking at this person and like, oh, what is, what's going on here? And I saw her, instead of using that as a teaching moment, instead of doing some of the things that we were just talking about, about like, how do you engage with kids and how do you teach them about differences? She pulled him closer, put her arm around him and shepherded him really far away from that man. That's the stigma I want to break. That's the stigma I want to break. I want to see that mom turning to her kid and teaching him something different rather than teaching him the fear that she never learned to understand. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important, like you were saying to like, I mean, like we've been saying, right, which is why we're here is to talk to kids about these things early on. So it doesn't become that stigma or that thing that they, you know, become an adult who doesn't know, you know, because I think that a lot of hatred comes from ignorance of just not knowing, just like you were saying, Lori, about like that moment where the kid was like, oh, that's weird, right? It was something they didn't understand or know. Did you have uh, something else to add? Oh, yes. I wanted to thank Lauren for being here because we don't like as an adult myself, like, um, I had friends, you know, I had friends that unfortunately experienced homelessness growing up, but I just wanted to, to thank her for being here because then it helps me learn as well about your experience. Just thank you times a million. No, thank you. We don't have to get emotional. We're not done yet. No, I know, but I was, you know, um, it's just that kids need to hear, you know, hear, need to hear about homelessness more often because unfortunately, you know, those voices aren't amplified and it needs to be heard. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Here, it's actually interesting here in Montreal, there's a large homeless population and there's actually, gosh, I wish I could remember the name of it, but there's a magazine that basically 
I don't know in what level they're employed, but they are paid in some way to write their stories and write articles. And then they sell, sell the magazine and make, you know, to whoever on this, you know, whoever wants it on the street and make a profit off of it. So I feel like there's a lot of initiatives here that I didn't see, at least in the cities that I lived in, in the States. That's actually something that they do in a lot of big cities. It comes by different names in different places, but it's so cool. Um, in the Boston area, the, the newspaper, it's called the Spare Change News. And how that works is that the people who are selling them, they go and they buy a stack of them at the beginning of the day. And then they can actually sell them for however much and they keep all of the profit. So the, when they go and they pay to pick up the paper at the beginning of the day, they pay whatever the like lowest fee that it's printed out at. And then whatever they make throughout the whole rest of the day, they get to keep. And that means that like if you and you go and you pay $10 for the paper or something like some price higher than whatever it was, they will get to keep all of the profit from that, which is super cool. That's awesome. Hey folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Radchild Podcast. Uh, Just one announcement today, which is that if you haven't checked out our Kickstarter campaign, definitely do that. You can do so by going to www.kickstarter.com and searching Radchild Podcast Season 3. We're actually almost fully funded for the third season, which is amazing. We're about $200 away, which is so, so, so close. So if you can help us reach that goal, we would really, really appreciate it. Uh, Even if you're just able to share the project, uh, every little bit helps. Other than that, just the regular stuff. So as usual, uh, definitely check out akidsbookabout.com. There you can get some awesome children's books about all kinds of topics, things that we talk about, things like systemic racism, um, things like gender, just all kinds of awesome, awesome conversations starting books. And you can do that by going to www.akidsbookabout.com and using the code RADCHILD2021. And that discount code will give you $5 off your order. So definitely check that out. And of course, we want to give a quick shout out to the Upford Network, which is the podcasting network we're a part of. Definitely go check out UpfordNetwork.com for all the awesome other shows that you can find on the network. And of course, if you'd like to uh, find out the latest up-to-date information about Radchild Podcast, honestly, the best way to do that is to follow us on social media uh, at Radchild Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm going to be honest, we're most active on Facebook just because that's where I am most of the time. (laughs) So definitely follow us there if you want kind of the most up-to-date information. If you'd like to contact us, you can either email us at radchildpodcast at gmail.com or just go to www.radchildpodcast.com under the contact us section there's a form you can fill out it's very simple Uh, and you can also find out information about how to be a guest in that section so uh, we're always looking for a new guest so definitely check that out and uh, hit us up if you're interested And of course, you can make a one-time donation on our Kickstarter right now. But if you'd like to make a recurring monthly donation, uh, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com. We have a couple of new patrons that I want to shout out. So Naomi, Sarah G, Yarrow, and Joanna, thank you so much for joining the ranks of uh, the already wonderful patrons, Kai, Alex, Emma, and Sarah R. All right, that's it for me. I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca and Crystal, and we'll get back to the show. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? 
Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books... We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. So... I'm also interested in talking a little bit about like, I know we talked about kids lit, um, like kid lit, but you know, what are some other ways that we can teach kids about differences like from the get go? I feel like, I mean, of course, yeah, definitely like kids lit, but, and you know, introducing them to interviews or podcasts like this one that have people on them that have those differences and can represent that in some way, shape or form, I feel like getting the message out there, you know, whether it's, I wouldn't say TV because TV is a lot of like fictional non-information, but interviews, podcasts, literature, I feel like any of, any of those things. And I I do have a, I do have a plug that's later on, but um, it's called diversebooks.com.org. Sorry, diversebooks.org you know, the we need diverse books in general. So I feel like that that website definitely steers you to, you know, interviews and stuff like that, and books that help with that. Um, But I love teaching through literature. So that's just my jam. So that's, you know, that's what I would recommend to anybody. Yeah, me too. I love before I even I mean, I was nannying. So I kind of had an excuse. But before I was even doing this work, I had such a huge collection of children's like diverse children's books, because like we were talking before like I just love them and I love like because we didn't have that when I was a kid right not in the way that we do now and I just feel like there are so many good books these days that there's kind of like no excuse (laughs) you know like there's so many good books there's so many good own voices books now I mean there's still we we need more but there's so many great books now like even there's a book called I believe it's called what color is my hijab you know it's sort of it goes through all the colors it's about a little um black muslim girl and it goes through all the colors and it talks about right like my hijab is red like such and such who wears a red hijab and when I'm wearing my red hijab I can do this right and by the end of that book my two-year-olds literally were like hijab like they knew the word hijab and they understand you know like maybe they don't understand the significance of it right but they knew what it was and it wasn't like and we read a book we learned about ramadan later in the year and we were reading a book and they literally pointed to it and one of them and they were like hijab and i was like like it's not that hard right for kids to understand these kind right so when they you know so maybe they'll notice someone with a hijab and be like hey that's a hijab but they're not going to be like what the heck is that you know, so I think that 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 kind of, again, that representation is just so important. I'm sorry, listeners, you hear me say this all the time. I wish you could see the smile on my face right now, because all I can think is like, I can't wait until later when we can email each other our book lists and compare our collections. I am such like a dork about kids books. I think I like them more than my kids do. It's so good. I All of my friends come to me for like, hey, Lauren, do you know a book about... I'm the go-to for that in my circles. Besides that, I wanted to say also Sesame Street is really good about talking about differences. And I'm not a big TV person either at all, but I think Sesame Street has always been like really good about 
naming, naming issues. And that's the important part. We can do that without Sesame Street too, but it's naming the issues, naming the differences and just making them normal. Like, so when a two-year-old sees a hijab, it's just, there it is. That's not anything different. It's just, it exists because it exists. Yeah. They, yeah. They, and they also recently, I mean, recently, it's been a couple of years now, but introduced Julia, who's a character with autism, which is awesome. Yeah. They, they do, they do really good work. Generally speaking, there's also, this is uh, in a different direction, but also puppets, weirdly. Uh, there's a show on Netflix called Julie's Green Room and it's uh, with Julie Andrews. It's basically about these, these five kids who are all puppets and they, uh, they're putting on a play. It's like, you know, through the, throughout the season, it's them putting on this play. It's actually funny. It's like very star-studded. Like Idina Menzel is on an episode. Like all these famous Broadway people and singers come on. Um, but anyway, all that to say that what I really loved about this show is there are five characters. Uh, all but one are people of color. And the character who's white is an, is a wheelchair user. Um, so like one of them... Oh, no, that's not true. There's two white characters. One is uh, the wheelchair user and the other one is... I mean... I wish they would be a little more obtuse about it, but uh, they never gender this character at all. And the character has like kind of a gender neutral name and that sort of, you know, could go either way. So it's really, they're like meant to be non-binary, but they did it in a little bit of a way where like they didn't, you know, want to have uh, uh, anybody say anything backlash, I guess. But in general, like, see that to me, like, I love when I see stuff like that, where it's just like, and even in the first episode, like someone asks, I think the character about their wheelchair, they're just like, yeah, I've just, you know, always had it. And also I could do wheelies and it's really cool. And like, whatever, that's it. The conversation's over. I love seeing that kind of, that kind of representation. So like, I think about this a lot, like with my, uh, the kids that I nanny right now, because um, one of them has a port wine stain on her face and like sort of different discoloration and things on her body. And uh, her parents are like very worried about her being bullied and things like that. And I think about like, you know, there's that age, like right now she's two and a half, like she couldn't care less. She doesn't, I don't know. I don't want to say she doesn't notice because like, she's very smart and maybe she has noticed. Um, but like, it doesn't matter to kids at a certain age. And then like, all of a sudden I feel like often it happens when they become school age or they're, or when they're interacting with other kids then like someone else points it out and then it becomes, you know, an issue or an insecurity. And so like, you know, with, with kids who have, you know, whatever, whatever difference it is, you know, how do we help like, build up their, you know, their confidence and their, um, you know, ability to be like, no, nah, like, that's just, that's just what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, unfortunately, I'm probably going to say something about the representation thing again, because that's just so, <laughs> well, that's just so important. You know, I think, you know, as a kid, it's super hard to, because, you know, you have to work, whether you're in school or in the workplace as an adult, you have to work with so many different types of people with different types of personalities. And it's, so important for people to be open-minded and it's hard to teach children that if they come from you know a household that maybe they their parents might not be as open-minded or their aunts or their uncles like you know what I mean but I think introducing like so bullying is is we want to stop bullying of course and of course I you know I do have a book I'm going to recommend later that is amazing for to teach kids about what empathy is but I think also like as a kid that coming from a kid that was you know you know, bullied, uh, you know, I do have to say it, what helped me kind of get through and build my confidence a little bit is, you know, finding role models or people that are doing really good things in the world that, you know, have similar differences. Like I do, for example, people that might be overweight or some people that might have suffered a TBI or have that ability or something like that. Um, 
you know, people that have come out as, you know, you know, non-binary or something like that. And they're doing amazing things with it. Even even if it's just within their community, those type of people, like for children that are struggling with confidence issues, you know, you could hear every day, adults will be like, okay, so this person says one thing that's negative to you about your appearance or about, you know, if you have a stutter or anything like that, they might say one negative thing to you, but I tell you all day that you're beautiful, that, that, you know, good things about you, but you remember that one little negative thing. And it just takes a, a, a whole heck of a lot of people telling you those positive things from different outlets, but sometimes that doesn't work. What works is taking that stand for yourself, be like, you know what, this is me and it's okay to be just me. And, you know, these people also have done great things in the community. They're kind of like me and look at them. Like I can do that too. And I think that's important. And that goes along with the representation aspect of everything. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of good books, um, like compilation type books that are, you know, about like, you'll see a lot of times like ones about like, uh, you know, women or people of color or, you know, whoever, whatever that group is who have and the things that they've accomplished. The one that comes to mind for like younger kids, there's a really good one called Look What Brown Can Do. That's all about uh, people of color, specifically brown and black folks and uh, sort of like who have done you know, accomplished various things. But yeah, I think those kinds of books are definitely helpful. I can't remember who it was, but I remember when I was a kid, I had this idea that my I have brown hair and I thought it was ugly because Barbie had blonde hair and she was, I don't know, she's the epitome of beauty, I guess. And I don't remember who it was, but there was someone who I, uh, like a, you know, celebrity or someone who I like idolized at the time. And it took me to be like, oh, they have brown hair and they're beautiful. So like, I can be beautiful and have brown hair. Um, But it did take like me seeing someone else, you know, with that, not to say that a brown, having brown hair is a big difference, but you know what I mean? I remember when um, Tess Tess Holiday started um, modeling and, you know, got big. And I'm like, look, it's a person that, you know what I mean? Looks like, you know, me. Of course, I don't look exactly like her. I mean, come on, she's gorgeous. But like, you know what I mean? But I was like, somebody that's, you know, a similar size to me is do is is a model. Like, oh my, like, I could do that. Like, that, you know, like, just something like that. It's like, you know, it just proves that, hey, no matter what body size you are, or, you know, however you present, you're beautiful, and your differences are beautiful. That model is amazing, first of all. But so I'd also love to answer this this question. So I actually want to reframe the question. What you asked was, how do we help build up a kid's confidence? And I actually think the question is, how do we help change the world's view of their differences? Because it shouldn't be the responsibility of people who are different to change how other people perceive them. That's what we're talking about. When we say representation, we're not actually talking about changing the kid's confidence. We're talking about changing the bigger picture, the world. In youth and young adult homelessness, what that looks like is making sure that staff are representative in places that work with young people who are experiencing homelessness so that like staff look like them culturally staff have had the same experiences of them and things like that. And in schools, that means like having a homelessness liaison who has some of those experiences themselves so that kids and young people can feel safe and confident in approaching this person and interacting with this person. So yeah, I mean, it's obviously about self-confidence too, but we don't stop feeling confident in ourselves because of something wrong with us, we stop feeling confident in ourselves because we don't see ourselves as normal in the rest of the world's perspective. That's absolutely true. And I think, again, that's where 
you know, we keep talking about it, but like the representation, like you were just saying, comes in. And I think like, especially with those kinds of things, like it's so much easier to talk to someone who has a similar experience to you, right? Just like you were saying earlier, Lori, about your students, you know, coming to you because they, you know, felt like felt that connection. And so, yeah, I definitely think that that's why we need all kinds of different people. Like, I feel like, you know, a unicorn is a trans nanny, but like, it shouldn't be that way. You know what I mean? Like, I think we need all different kinds of people in education and, you know, in childcare and all those, all those kinds of things so that kids are seeing all different kinds of people. And it's actually funny because when I moved to, I was in New York city and then I moved here uh, to Montreal and I was worried about nannying, like being a queer man and nannying. I was like, I don't know kind of like what the vibe is there. And honestly, I have had, I had more people act strange about it in New York than I did here. People were like so chill about it here. And like, I even got, you know, I didn't feel like it was in a tokenizing way. Like, oh, I want to have a trans nanny to expose my children to different things. But like, people were kind of like, no, I think that's awesome that like, my kid will meet someone who's like, you know, who's, you know, different than them right or than the people in their family like i want my kid to you know understand that there's different kinds of people in the world right and so i thought that that was like a really interesting response that i wasn't expecting so just like very you know very simply like how i mean the question is simple the answer is might not be but like how do we you know help kids celebrate their differences and sort of like you were saying right maybe break down the stigmas that make differences a big deal in the first place, right? Yeah, exactly. Like like what Lauren said, like about how, you know, I feel like people with differences think it's them. It's like they're the issue. It's like it's not you that are the issue. It's the worldview, just like Lauren had put it. Like, yeah, it's it's the it's the worldview. And that's what needs to change. But I feel like the only way that's gonna change is for people to like see that diversity is okay it's beautiful. It's okay to be different. And that that's where um, we just have to keep, you know, pushing through to make sure that, you know, kids have access to representation, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. For me thinking Lauren earlier, like, and that's another way too, like, because I was thinking something that I was thinking about with representation, I wish that more we could, because I know like where I'm at in Hawaii, there, unfortunately, there are a lot of homeless individuals that live in Hawaii. And we, we don't, as far as I know, we don't have a paper out there that we hear those voices amplified. And I'm like, that's something that we do need, because I would love to hear more about their experiences and um and stuff like that and it's like I definitely would like to see everybody everybody's like oh we need these types of voices amplified but I feel like there's there's so many differences out there we need to see them all amplified you know absolutely and I think for for people who've experienced homelessness it's not necessarily about celebrating that they don't have a home right because that's that sucks. Nobody wants that. But it's about celebrating them as individuals. Like this is what I was saying earlier when I said homelessness is an experience. You move through it. You're actually not a homeless individual. You're not a homeless person. It's about using person first language, shifting that narrative to say this is a person who's experiencing something and they are still a really cool and deserving and wonderful human. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting because it just makes me think about like how often I think we don't like we do this sort of a similar thing with children where like we forget that they're people and like they have wants and needs. And, you know, I, I it's so important to like remember that pe- people are people. 
Oh my gosh. Um, but anyways, as we start to wrap things up, I'm curious, I know we talked, I'm, I know the answer to this question is yes. Do you have any resources about this topic for kids and adults that could be books or shows, websites, whatever? Some websites that I would recommend, um, diversebooks.org, lambdaliterary.org. I could go on forever about the the kids' books that I, you know, love. Um, but I love the books um, All Are Welcome by Alexandria Penfold, um, The Skin That You Live In by Michael Tyler, Pink Is For Boys by Rob Perlman, Families, Families, Families by Suzanne and Max Lang. I also love Read A Crayon Story by Michael Hall. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. Auntie Uncle Drag Queen Hero by Ellie Royce. Um, I actually just spoke to her on another podcast and she's amazing. But um, I definitely, that's one of the books I would recommend. I read recently, it's called um, What is Empathy? A Bullying Storybook for Kids from um, Amanda Morin. Now that book is pretty epic just because it's told by two different points of view. I know earlier we talked about language and about how kids might not necessarily think they're being offensive, but they are. And that because that book takes two points of view from the person that's doing the bullying and then the victim of the bullying, the bully might not think it's bullying, but the other person, and because that same story is told by multiple perspectives of the same incident, it kind of just instills in kids that, hey, while somebody, you might not think you're you're hurting feelings, but you actually are. Like, that's a great book on how to teach that. But yes, those those books I would definitely recommend and so many more, of course. Thank you. My favorites, one of them I can't remember right now. One of them I mentioned earlier, it was uh, Last Stop on Market Street. Again, that one was about a grandmother taking a kid to a soup kitchen to volunteer. It's a really cool book. There's a lot of different differences in that book as well. And then one of my absolute favorite ones is A Shelter in Our Car. It's a book about a mom and a daughter who live in their car, and it just follows them through some of their experiences, including like the younger girl getting bullied at school and her best friend, another young kid who's experiencing homelessness, who she hangs out with at the park. It's a really cool book. Yeah, the one the one that I want to recommend that's a newer one that actually I hadn't even heard about. I did I did like a, a book swap a while ago through Rad Child Podcast where like I, I paired people up and uh, you know, you would buy that person a book and they'd buy you a book. And the book that I got sent was called Hooray What a Day. And it's this amazing picture book that is um basically about a it's sort of just about like queer community um and it's this like vibrant colorful book almost like childlike drawings like these super vibrant uh, drawings and it's just like all different kinds of people um but this very sort of like queer centric it's just like kind of community um and all different you know kinds of people and differences and it's a really really lovely book um and it's funny because it's one of those books that like almost doesn't even really have a plot but it's still great like it's just kind of like this kid going through their neighborhood and seeing people and that's one that I love the colors of us by Karen Katz and that one's great it's a picture book for younger kids and it's basically about this little uh little girl and you know she um her mom is an artist and so she's paint you know she wants to paint her friends or whoever and her mom's explaining right like that, you know, like she's trying to make a skin tone and she's like, well, everyone has different different skin tones, right? And so she kind of goes around her neighborhood and, you know, is like, oh, like that's the grocer. He's the color of cinnamon. Or like, that's, you know, my cousin. She's the color of peanut butter. It's all food for some reason. It makes me hungry. You know, I really, I really enjoy, enjoy that book because it's, you know, like the mother is encouraging her to notice the differences, right? Which I really appreciate. And then at the end, you know, she goes and she paints everybody in her neighborhood, um, which is really cute. 
I do have my final one. I figured out what it was, if that's okay. It's called I Am a Bear, and it is such a good book. It's about this bear who is um, experiencing homelessness. It's so good. He's such a sweetie. And partway through the book, I mean, he gets hungry. And so he goes and he takes a bread from the bakery. And like the person who works there yells at him. And he, he realizes, oh gosh, I'm a bear. I'm not supposed to be here. Nobody wants me here. I know I'm not supposed to be in the city. And it's this whole story about this, this person, supposedly, who's experiencing homelessness, feeling rejected and sort of accepting, well, I'm a bear. I don't really exist. But yet here I am. Until a little girl comes and gives him a big hug and says, why are you sad, teddy bear? It's such a sweet book. Just to wrap things up, I'm just curious uh, if you have any, you know, personal projects or work that you want to plug. And then also, if you want to be found on the internet, where can people find you? I actually just recently, um, it was it was two years, two years coming, but I um, actually just got my first children's book published. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so um, I'm a kid lit author. I'm a teacher, too, but I'm, you know, I'm a kid lit author. So it's called Toby Wears a Tutu and it it got picked up and I was so excited. Um, But pretty much it's it's about um, a child's first day of kindergarten they go in and they're gender non-conforming because they grew up, hey, I can do anything. But when they go to school, though, they find that a lot of kids, like we talked about, they were asking questions, but it kind of like it came off as bullying because they have never been exposed to something, you know, or somebody like Toby. So Toby's upset, goes home and asks their mom, how do I go about, you know, even talking to them and answering their questions and their mother explains it like it's just like grabbing a tube of icing to decorate cookies. You need to, you know, have do it with love, care, and, you know, have a strong grip on who you are and be proud of that. Um, so it's about Toby going through and finding new friends, explaining who they are and if they can do that. So that's what Toby Wears a Tutu is about. But yeah, if you would like more information about that, it's available like on um, Amazon. It's available in Barnes and Noble. It's available on Bookshop. I love Bookshop because I always tell people the easiest way to get new books is go to your local independent bookshop. And I know everybody's a big Amazon person now. They go on Amazon and buy it. But, you know, to help local businesses, if you go to your local independent bookstore and say, hey, can you order this book for me? It is in the Library of Congress. It is in, you know, the Ingram Book Group. group, So they should be able to order it um, no matter where you are. I'm not quite sure about it. It's available in Canada too. Yes. So that that was my personal project. And I've, you know, I'm writing, I'm, you know, I'm making edits to my, to a novel that has a non-binary character as well but that's what I do I can for what I do laurystarlingwrites.com that's my website um, so you can find all my projects on there are you on any social media or is that the best place to reach out to you oh yeah I'm on I'm on Instagram at lowstarlingwrites so I'm on Instagram I'm also on Twitter and I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter so that's at, at laurystarlingwrites is my handle. Facebook, I do have a Facebook, um, Lori Starling writes, if you just kind of put that in the search bar, you should be able to find me. But I'm mostly active on Instagram and Twitter, because I, I love taking pictures and the whole Instagram thing. I haven't really gotten a hold of the the TikToking yet. I'm trying, but I'm not very good at that. So I'm not going to put that plug in there. I feel too old for that stuff. I know, I know. So I am also 
on the internet. I don't really use my social for anything relevant for this. Um, the best way to contact me is by my email, which is just leonardislauren at gmail.com. I do a lot of work around ending youth and young adult homelessness. Some of the cool things that I've done is like helped co-author the Massachusetts State Plan to End Youth Homelessness. I was one of the consultants who led the work for the Boston Plan to End Youth Homelessness as well. And now I work as a consultant lots of different projects, all on the same subject. I mostly work on helping locations start up youth action boards, which is like groups for young people who've experienced homelessness to get their hands on the work so that the work is led by people with lived experience. I've also gone into schools and talked to kids about the experiences of youth homelessness. I've gone into colleges and done the same, and I'm always happy to talk more about that. So if people need help with anything to do with the subject of youth homelessness, I'm happy to get an email and at least connect you to the right people for that. That's awesome. What a good resource. All right. So, I mean, that's all I have. So thank you both so much for for being here. It's been awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been fun. You're so welcome. Have a great rest of your day. And remember, stay rad. Multiverse theory, corgis, queer representation, reconciliation, angels, demons, squirrels, moose, moose and squirrels, sorcerers, dinosaurs, forests, giants, rogues, warlocks, planes, sewers, lavender, natural toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. I'm Tefra Jemian, the producer and host of the Yeah Podcast, a young adult lit review podcast focusing on amplifying the diverse voices in YA literature. Join us as we dig into the world of young adult books, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah Podcast, available through the Upgrade Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah!